I know you're going to buy some of those Michelle Obama necklaces. Uh, I'm going to buy this book for my dad. Well, uh, I've already been looking at it yeah. online because we they Curtis sent us a, a PDF book. It's a book I want to get. Um, it's so telling me it's so relevant. Uh, it's by a marine ecologist, former professor at Scripps Institution of Oceanography, Dr. Enrique Sala. He is explorer in residence at National Geographic. His book, The Nature of Nature, Why We Need the Wild, and he joins us on the phone from the nation's capital on this Tuesday. Uh, Dr. Sala, it is so nice to have you here with us. How are you? I'm great, uh, enjoying the hot summer of Washington, D.C. <laughs> oh, man, it's brutal. It is brutal. Tell us about this book um, that you wrote and why you did it. Yeah, The Nature of Nature is my lost letter to the planet. Mm-hmm. I wanted to communicate what I have learned for the last 30 years, conducting research all around the world. I wanted to tell stories of how we figured out what happens when species of plants and animals and microbes get together and self-assemble in these wonderful ecosystems that we call forests, wetlands, grasslands, coral reefs, and why we need to preserve them for our own uh, well-being. But also I wanted to make the economic case that yeah. more protection of nature actually would be beneficial to the global economy. Well, talk to us about that because that is, I mean, we are, after all, Bloomberg Business Week. And that, uh, in addition to Carol's and my own uh, fascination and and really uh, deep belief in, in conservation, I think I can say pretty fairly, I think we're both intrigued by the economic aspect of this. Break that down for us. Uh, talk some numbers and, and help us understand how you put numbers around this. Okay. So I was listening before joining I was listening to the prices of the stocks and the percentages. So I'm going to do something similar. Uh, The natural world contributes with $125 trillion in free services to the global economy every year. So this is the the value of the ecosystem services that the natural world provides for us. Now, only 15% of the land and 7% of the ocean are protected today. Forests are being burned or a clear cut. We are, we have lost 90% of the large fish in the ocean. You know, the, gloom, the doom and gloom list is, is long. We are basically destroying our life support system. So what do we need to do? The science tells us that we need to protect at least 30% of the planet by 2030. If we are to avoid the extinction of a million species, and the collapse of our life support system, and if we want nature to continue helping us to absorb much of the carbon pollution that we expel into the atmosphere and help us mitigate climate change. Now, the next question is, well, yeah, but how much is it going to cost? Well, we released an economic study this this year that suggests that a system of protected areas covering 30% of the planet would cost, in terms of operations and management costs, $140 billion per year. That's by 2030. That's less than what the world spends today in video games. Mm. That's, ju- that's just a third of the government subsidies to activities that destroy nature. Just a third. So the money is there. Public money is there. We just use it for, for the activities that destroy our life support system instead of preserving it. And one more thing is that in the United States, for example, for every dollar that the government invests in our national parks, that dollar generates $10 every year 
in economic output that goes to, to private to private pockets. So that's why we need to invest uh, in nature. It's a, it's a good business. Let's get back to our guest, Dr. Enrique Sala, explorer in residence at National Geographic. His book, Out the Nature of Nature, Why We Need the Wild, and he's still with us uh, on the phone in Washington, D.C. He's also founder of Pristine Seas. So, Dr. Sala, I want to ask you, you know, I feel like we are chasing after so many different problems right now, but if we don't take care of the environment, none of those problems are going to matter, to be quite honest with you. So how do we more successfully as a, as a, as a world make sure we're doing the right thing, especially when there's so much disconnect between countries and individuals? Look, we, even in the U.S., just can't kind of get it together and have one cohesive strategy when it comes to the virus. So how do we, as a globe, really do this correctly? Yeah, I would think that this pandemic would have taught us once and for all that while we perceive there is this connection and politically there must be this connection, we are all connected. It took only one person in China to be infected by a virus coming from a wild animal to create an outbreak that then, thanks to our global lifestyle, spread like wildfire across the world, right? The health, the well-being, of the richest country in the world, of the richest person in the world, today is dependent on the health and the behavior of the poorest person, even in the poorest country. We are all connected. We tamper with nature on one side of the planet, and the pandemic has shown that the consequences are global. You know, this is not something that was going to happen to somebody in the future, like many people thought about climate change. But this is happening right now to everybody on the planet. So instead of having to respond to the next pandemic, we better invest in reducing the risk of the next pandemic. And the numbers are very clear. What it would cost to prevent is just a fraction of 1% of the global GDP. 1%, less than 1%, even 1%, that would be a very cheap rent to pay for the use of our planet, right? So I know that now uh, governments are worried about taking care of people in need and reviving the economy. But also we need to start thinking about the causes of the pandemic and how to protect nature so she can protect us. How can we reduce the risk of more viruses coming on our doorstep? Are people listening? Are the the folks in in power starting to to listen to this? Because we have had a number of wake-up calls here, as you're alluding to, but I wonder how discussions around climate fit into that. It's all related, right? You you talked about all these different crises. It's it's one and the same crisis because the COVID pandemic originated because of our broken relationship with nature. And climate change only exacerbates the problem of loss of nature, it reduces the ability of nature to absorb much of our carbon pollution, and also it exacerbates the, the problems with people with respiratory problems once they, they get the, the, the coronavirus. So, so it, it's, all, it's all related. And it seems that what the people who are against change, you know, some people are thinking, oh, we need to go back to normal. Well, that's the worst thing we can do because the pandemic has shown that the emperor has no clothes. We have built our world, the global economy, not based on resilience, but based on growth, you know, hyper-leveraging. And that's not sustainable. That's not resilient. We cannot afford another one of these. So we need to build back better. Like uh, plants and animals, they self-assemble in ecosystems that are stable. 
that are resilient. We need to do the same thing. There is a lot we can learn from, from nature, from uh, how ecosystems form, so we can rebuild our human ecosystem in a way that is, you know, we don't work for the money, but actually the money works for us. You know, what you just said um, a few minutes ago about this whole idea of, you know, we're all so connected and what happens to an individual in a, in a bad either health situation or where they're exposed to things, you know, ultimately kind of exposes all of us. It, it, it reminds me of an expression my, my sister often says that you're only as happy as a parent as your least unhealthy child. And we're only healthy as global citizens as our least unhealthy global citizen is. So having said that, are we at a point where we are overpopulated in Earth and that's part of the problem? Or is it just our ways that's really the problems, uh, problem and that needs to be fixed? This is one of the big taboos that nobody wants to talk about, right? The issue of um, overpopulation. And you have uh, two divided camps. What I can say without offending anyone is that it is the per capita use right now with the people we have on the planet uh, we have enough resources to feed everybody today. We have enough resources to feed 10 million people. The problem is that we are wasting a third of the food we produce from the farm and the boat to the table. And also we are eating too much animal protein, which takes a lot of land. It takes a lot of fresh water. And it takes a lot of nature that if it were not dedicated to raise livestock, for example, it would give many more benefits to people. So we could fuel our economy mostly with renewable energies, like some countries in Europe have shown. We could produce enough food for 10 million people with a, a plant-based diet, eating more plants and less animals, and it, that would be good for our health, for the economy, and for the environment. But, you know, again, we have to fight against these special interests, which are like the people who are trying to make as much money as possible at the casino of the Titanic mm. after hitting the icebergs. Right, right. Well, we really appreciate the time you spent with us, and congratulations on your book. Dr. Enrique Sala is Explorer in Residence, the coolest title that I have ever heard for National Geographic. He's also the founder of Pristine Seas, and the book is really an important one, Carol. And totally. It's called The Nature of Nature, Why We Need the Wild, and, and really puts a lot in perspective. Here's one line. If we continue our way soon, the only large animals left on the planet will be us, our domesticated food and our pets, and the largest plant communities won't be the magnificent tropical and boreal forests, but monocultures like the vast industrial croplands that now make up the American Midwest. Is this a viable future for humanity? And as we talk about, you know, what the earth is doing right now, the way it is responding to us, we've got hurricanes bearing down, uh, you know, we've got heat uh, like we've never seen before, record-setting temperatures last week in California there in Death Valley. So it's sending us a signal. Well, I think that much is clear. You and I have talked about that, right? We've just, you know, whether you want to get all woo, you know, out there, but it does feel like uh, Mother Earth is sending us a signal, um, especially the likelihood that we're going to have to be dealing with more and more viruses like this if we continue on this path that we have. All right. On that Levin. happy note. Uh, yeah. <laughs> hey, everybody, have a great evening. Yeah, have an awesome time. <laughs> Pour yourself a glass of wine. <laughs> Deal with whatever is coming next.